Did you know that there are four periods in the history of the world? And did you know that we are in the third period? In fact, Advent always reminds us of this reality. Here are the four periods. The first period was from the dawn of creation until original sin and the fall of man. And scientists tell us that over the course of millions and millions of years, there was life on the earth. And then humanity comes and there's the fall. The second period was between the fall and the incarnation of the Son of God, which of course coincides with the first Christmas. And the second period, in fact, uses and has used for centuries the abbreviation BC in English to denote the era before Christ, such as 800 BC. The third period of world history is the age of the church. Through his life, death, and resurrection, ascension in heaven, and ascending in the Holy Spirit, Christ established the church and continues to guide it through history by his spirit and the successors to the apostles, the popes, and the bishops. This third period uses the abbreviation AD in Latin, Anno Domini, to indicate in the year of our Lord to chronicle the time after the Son of God was born into the world, such as 450 AD. And again, for centuries, we have been using this timeline. These two abbreviations, BC and AD, along with the Gregorian calendar, created by one of the Catholic popes in the Middle Ages, are pretty much used around the world and across the centuries by all peoples as a way of describing human history and even the days, weeks, and months of the annual calendar. Also, the third period, A.D., is the period that you and I are in. Right now, the period described, in fact, by the parable in today's gospel passage from Mark 13, where Jesus reminds the servants, that's us, to take care of his household the church until he returns. But the main point of this teaching from Jesus in today's gospel reading is to remind us that our present third period of history will not last forever. Just as Jesus came to earth on Christmas, the Lord will come again at the end of time, which may happen tomorrow or next year, or 10 years from now, or 1,000 years from now. And then the fourth period of human history will begin. The old heavens and earth will pass away, evil will be banished forever, and those who lived and died in friendship with Christ will enter into their everlasting reward. Only God can give a history lesson that includes not only the past and the present, but the entire future. And he gives it to us every year because he loves us too much to let us forget about the big picture. And this is the purpose of Advent. How far 
we have strayed from the original meaning and purpose of Advent. We think it's just about like a preface for Christmas. It is so much more than that. So let's follow this. Now, some Christians and even some former Christians or even current Christians who don't really know and practice their faith regularly sometimes use this understanding of world history as an argument against Christianity. Here's how they argue. You have probably even heard some in your own household or among your friends make this argument, something along these lines. If the Savior has already come into the world, they ask, then why is the world still such a mess? Good question. The answer is supplied by even a basic reading of Christ's teachings in the Bible, which express the fact that those who make the argument often don't even understand the basics about Christ and his teachings and what he actually taught. Here's what Christ actually taught about the third period of human history. Christ in his teachings never said he came to eliminate war, disease, natural disasters, crime, ignorance, or poverty. These evils existed before the, Christ, the first Christmas, and they have existed ever since. They will only end at the fourth period of human history. Not knowing even the basics about Christ's teachings, critics argue, that since there is disease and suffering in the world, Christ wasn't a savior at all, or wasn't God, or God doesn't exist. Therefore, living the Christian way of life is irrelevant. Christianity is irrelevant. But they are wrong. For so many concrete reasons, too many for a homily, I'm just going to cover two today. First of all, Christianity was founded by Christ when he established the church and has had a huge difference upon the world. Historian Thomas E. Woods, tired of all of the empty criticisms, recently wrote a book called How the Church Built Western Civilization explaining some of the more obvious contributions of Christianity, including the birth of modern science and the resulting technological revolution, the modern university system, the concept of human rights and international law, the gradual elimination of slavery in the West, the gradual emancipation of women from second-class status, the widespread growth of hospitals, orphanages, homes of the aged, homeless shelters, and the widespread growth of general education. All of these emerged only in the midst of Christian culture, even though they are now being enjoyed throughout the world. And here's another one. Christ choosing the church as his conduit by which he gives grace to the world and the church through the sacraments and through that grace, able 
to bring souls to Christ. The second reason these critics are wrong is just as important. Jesus never claimed that the third age, the age of the church, would create heaven on earth. That's what the critics want, but it isn't what Christ promised. So, criticizing Jesus for not keeping a promise he never made is illogical. But that's what these critics are doing. In fact, Jesus specifically promised that the elimination of evil and suffering will only occur in the fourth period. We see this preface in the Old Testament. We see Jesus referring to it in the gospel. And we see it most definitely in the book of Revelation. The purpose of the present age, the third period, is to give people a chance. To give people a chance to join God. Because he gives us freedom to join him or not to join him. To become his people and stand alongside of him. Indeed, fight alongside of him through prayer and virtue and growing in faith and holiness for the souls of men and women in a world where there is freedom. A great gift, a great responsibility. And for some who choose it wrongly, a great curse. Not from God, but how they use it. He calls us and gives us a chance then also to live out the heavenly reward that he's going to offer all who choose him. Here's the thing. Jesus is the Savior. He's God. So he has the right to choose how and when salvation comes about. Not the armchair messiahs who only know how to criticize rather than actually get on board and do something constructive with their life in relationship to Jesus Christ and allow him to lead them to make a difference in this world. This is why he put them in this world while we all and each one of us wait for Jesus' return. History. Some people like history. I do. Other people find it boring. But this particular history lesson has at least three practical consequences for all of us to consider. First, it tells us where to find meaning in life. How many of us know people who really struggle to find meaning in their life? And because they f struggle to find meaning in their life, all kinds of conditions they, they suffer with. Just staying with today's gospel reading, we know that the master of our lives will one day return and that he will reward each of us, follow this, follow this, by using all that he has given us while we have life for the good of God's kingdom rather than the creation, rather than the creation of our own little kingdoms. That's not why we're in this world. 
Jesus has promised us a reward in heaven that is greater than anything that we will ever gain in this life, no matter how long and hard we work for it. Jesus makes this promise so we all have something to live for, something to sacrifice for, something to stand with, something to choose him above all other things and peoples and activities in this world. Something to look forward to, especially when we experience the evils of this world or when we suffer. This brings meaning into our lives. Along these lines, no work that we do in Christ's name will be forgotten or go unrewarded. It has everlasting meaning. Just as children look forward to receiving gifts on Christmas Day, so we who strive to be Christ's faithful friends can look forward to receiving unimaginable gifts on the last day and then forever throughout heaven. This is indeed a practical consequence, a great reason to live fully a committed Christian life. Second, This Christian framework of history gives us hope. Let's be honest. Most of us recognize that we are not always faithful in our friendship with Christ. We lose patience too often. We overindulge in selfish pleasures too often. We turn a blind eye to those in need. We tell too many lies, spend too much money, and the list goes on. But because we live in the age of the church, We have the hope that our sins and failings can be wiped away by God's grace if we will only admit to them, confess them, give them to God, and then actually want God's grace to repent and reform and become the persons that God created us to be in this life and in heaven. We have to want what God wants for us, rather than just what we want for ourselves. Living in this age of the church, Christ offers us the ability and time to make a fresh start, to begin again, and if necessary, again and again, with his mercy. As we live more and more in the reality of the meaning and hope and goal of being a Christian in this period of history, Speaking of making a fresh start, I want to remind you as we head into Advent about a great gift Christ provides through the ministry of his church. Reconciliation. Our Advent reconciliation service will be on Thursday, December 10th at 6.30 p.m. We'll have at least 10 other priests here to help, to help you give up your sins to Christ and experience his freedom and new beginnings This will all be offered in the context of Eucharistic adoration with worship and praise music for lifting up our voices in prayer, preparing ourselves for reconciliation, and then in gratitude and praise after we receive forgiveness rather than running out the door. And extra prayer teams present to pray with you. And just in case you might have, we might have a large turnout for confessions during this 
time of craziness in our world when hopefully we're putting now more stock in Jesus Christ than we are in the things of this world as we see what's going on in this world. I also then want to offer extra confessional times after the 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Mass for the next three weeks, starting right after this Mass. I'll just be in the Dominican Library following this Mass. Just give me a moment or two to say goodbye to folks at the end of Mass. There's a third concrete and practical consequence of living life during this third period of human history, the age of the church. By the very way Christ designed human history, we see that we are called by him to join a people, his people, the church. The Bible, remember, in the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word is ecclesia. And when Christ builds his church, when he says to Peter, and upon you the rock I will build my church, he's it's ecclesia. An ecclesia means an assembly of people. He builds his church not upon one, but upon a foundation, an ecclesia, an assembly of people, the church. And we're called, therefore, to be church, that is, to be religious, not just spiritual. How many times have you heard people among your family and friends say, oh, I'm not religious anymore? Or I'm not religious at all, I'm spiritual. This goes against history. We are called to be a religious people who are part of a Christian community, a church, a parish family, rather than only a spiritual person who might have some nice thoughts and warm feelings about God, but is not engaged in a religious way of life, an, an ordered way of life, the way God ordered it. Following what we have heard thus far, God is giving us this third age, this age of the church, precisely in order to be a part of his church so that we can find our way to him together rather than try to find our way to him separately. Think of it this way. Follow this. Think of your journey through this world in terms of climbing a mountain. Would you rather try to climb the mountain alone? Even though if you are honest with yourself, you know nothing about how to climb this mountain. Let alone make your way through the wilderness to the top of the mountain. There is no guarantee that you will make it up the mountain or out of the wilderness alive before you ever reach the top of the mountain. Or, or, would you rather go with a trail guide and an outfitter company who know the trail that leads to the top of the mountain, who can keep you from falling off the ledges, safe from the wild animals, has proper gear for climbing and for the changes in weather, provides the right nutrition along the climb, sheltered during the nights, etc., etc. Joining a religious way of life is like joining an outfitter, being with a bunch of other climbers, and having a trail guide and all that we need to get to heaven, and, and having the guarantee that if we follow this way, we will make it to the top. The guarantee. 
the promise. Christ made no promises whatsoever for anyone who follows their own way. To the con contrary, this is why the present age we live in, the age before the final age, is called the age of the church, the assembly, the people, God's people. As we continue this Holy Mass then, let us lay all of our worries and cares in our future at the foot of the altar. And when Jesus comes to us in Holy Communion, let us ask him for the grace to see the truth of history, the world's and our own personal history, from God's reality, God's plan. That is, we were put into history to discover God, come to know him, accurately and who he actually is and what he actually taught and have the freedom now to choose him and love him and follow a way of life with the help of his church to make it to our heavenly homeland that's why he gives us the church because he gave us freedom and not despite the fact that the world is flawed or even some in the church are flawed. There are some in the church that are flawed. But precisely because we are all flawed, Jesus provides us this present age and his Holy Spirit guiding those in the church who actually want to follow Jesus. So let us be watchful together and waiting for his promised return. And the promises he offers those in friendship with him in heaven. Let this be the meaning and hope we hold this Advent. As we head towards Christmas celebrating a promise fulfilled. The incarnation of God among us. And a promise before us. The return of our God for each of us. Whether we're ready or not. Thank you.